0: Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E.com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. 51,000 plus on their feet.
1: Nobody's left to beat the traffic tonight, I guarantee you. Mark gets the sign. The wind and the pitch, here it is. One. Fly ball deep left center. them on the road. Yeah! 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 yeah, yeah. The Atlanta Braves yeah. have given you a championship. A 25 lighters on my dresser. Yes, sir. You know i got to
2: get paid. High five ball. Back to right center. And the Braves have won it. 25 lighters on my dresser. Yes, sir. You know i got to get
3: paid. Swing and drive. my 25 folks Now get ready This is the Platinum Sombrero Podcast With your hosts Dylan Short and Adam Doc Herbert What's up everybody, welcome to another episode of the Platinum Sombrero, Dylan and Doc with you as always, and joined by our very first guest, Gabe Burns, making his triumphant return to the Platinum Sombrero after being somewhat of a prophet. If you guys missed that one, go back and check that first episode and listen to what Gabe had to say. Everything he has said has come to pass, so why not get him back on as we near the halfway point and he can keep the good vibes going. Gabe, what's going on, bud?
1: a long time coming thanks for having me back on guys i just i guess i got really lucky
3: you don't need to be humble
1: (laughs) i mean it's it's worked out better than anyone could have imagined right like when i last time i talked to you guys we were down there in florida i think it was around halfway point of spring training and i don't think anybody could have predicted it'd be july 5th and we're talking about buying at the deadline fighting for home field advantage in the nl and you know Snit as a potential manager of the
3: year. I mean, it's kind of it's that's pretty just, crazy. That seems so crazy to say, but it's honestly true. For as much grief as we give Brian Snicker, I mean, look at how much better this team is performing in just one year's time. I mean, th- mm-hmm. it is it has been. It's a much different – now, Braves fans are always going to complain. We're used to being bad and really bad for the last couple years, so it's kind of ingrained in us right now. But you look at the roster and you look at the way it's constructed, There's some things that you can nitpick, and we'll talk about those in a second. But for the most part, you look at this team, and there's not a lot of holes. Mm -hmm. And And it's
1: because they're getting a lot. I mean, everyone was excited when they got Culberson. I don't think anyone expected him to be this good. Um, Preston Tucker held it down. I mean, we forget like Ryan Flaherty has not been good lately. But don't forget what he did that first month <laughs> when he. I mean, we're talking about a guy who was leading the NL in batting average like in late April. I mean, they're they're still getting just enough from some of these guys that it's been like wow. I mean, without Flaherty early on, I mean, who knows what would have happened? So it's like. You know, he. I, again, we don't know what's going to happen with him now, and it's, it's been very off and on since, but it's just stuff like that that's kept them where they are. And Snooker does deserve some credit for that. And I, I hear everyone's complaints, many of them I understand. For example, in the last game in St. Louis with Peter Moylan, uh, bringing him in instead of just letting Biddle pitch to FAM, I mean, obviously that was highly questionable. So there's stuff like that, but at the same time, I think you need to acknowledge this, and it has done a really good job with this team. And We can kind of – and you can look at any fan base. I mean, if you read the Cubs reporters' uh, timelines, people are talking about firing Joe Madden, Dodgers fans, <laughs> firing Dave Roberts. I mean, it's, it's everywhere. Like You're not going to get – you're never going to reach a point where it's like, oh, man, this manager is so great, and everything he does I agree with. So, Let me
3: tell you what's not going to happen. The Cubs are not going to fire Joe Madden.
1: No, they're not. And the Dodgers aren't firing Dave Roberts. I mean, it's like – and certainly Milwaukee's not. I'm sure there's Brewers fans complaining about council too. So, it, it's just it's just the nature of the sport. And I understand Snit's old school and a lot of people don't like that. And that's fine. I mean, I think that there's a lot of valid complaints there that people have had. It's just the point is, is that the overall body of work – I mean, it's, it's hard to argue with where this team sits right now.
3: And I've said this, I'm going to do a weird thing where I'm going to do kind of the compliment sandwich here. Um, I think Snit's best qualities are are the fact that he gets 100% out of his players constantly. Now, you can say that you don't get a manager just because it's good for his players or whatever, and that's an analytical viewpoint. Um, But that is one of those weird areas that you can't really measure in analytics because there is something to say. Like if the Braves have had one or two come from behind victories – then okay, you can write that off to, to just talented players, talented young guys going on a hot streak right there. But when it's constant, I believe it's what, up to eight come from behind victories, seventh inning or later, eight or nine, mm-hmm. that is that is now an actual statistic. Like that is, that is now an actual component to the team. And that does start with the manager. It has something to do with the way that he gets his team prepared or the way that he keeps them engaged in the game. And you can say professionals don't really think that way. Look no further than the Nationals. That is not a team that's coming back once you've got them beat down. They're basically staying down because they're not mm-hmm. they're just not built that way. They're not mentally tough. And if there's one thing I can point to Snicker and say is his best quality, is his teams are very mentally tough and they're very even keeled. You don't you don't see a lot of highs and lows. They're always upbeat and and, and got each other's backs basically. And I know this sounds cliche. Uh, but it's true. And when you get that, it's easy to point out the bad things. Like his bullpen management not good at all um it's really bad he's very much i don't know if he's 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 so much more inclined to go with the known factor even if that known factor is bad uh like the the big stink was calling up Wes parsons and evan phillips and not using either of them uh that was that was a that was a garbage fire moment on braves twitter and i completely understood that i thought it was dumb um using lucas sims at a key spot in a game in the in the fifth inning, uh, what was it? A couple of weeks back, uh, that was a bad spot when you bring Lucas in to face the heart of a lineup when you're tied. Things of that nature. But again, like you said, if you're taking votes right now for manager of the year, it's Brian Snicker right up there.
2: Hmm.
1: Yeah. It's it's really between. It, I mean, in my opinion, it's, it's just him and Council and and I, I guess Kapler too. So the, I mean, there's three guys that are to me clearly ahead of everyone else. And that's just because, but the difference is we knew Milwaukee was going to be good. You know, I mean, even with the, I think with Kapler and Snit, these teams are, and some people did think the Phillies were going to be good. The Phillies are actually a lot better than I thought they would be. Um, so, I, I mean, again, like it, it would be, yeah, if the season ended today, I, I would think that Snit would win it. And it, it's just like what happened with his homestand. I mean, their last home stand. I don't want to call anything a disaster in June.
3: That's a disaster. Still in
1: first place, but that was really as bad as it could have gotten for a team that was sitting in their position. I mean, you have the O's coming in, you have the Reds coming in, and I get the Reds are playing better and all that. But to go two and four in that homestand was borderline inexcusable. They come right back and they sweep the Cardinals, you know, and and that's and that and I understand the Cardinals are kind of going through their own thing. But that's, there should be some credit there given to the manager.
2: They've proven all year that they can hang with you know they they do play to their level of competition, which is a little bit of a cliche. But but you know when you're you're losing to to O's starters, but then you're coming out and you're beating guys like they beat Sale, they beat Degrom, they beat Scherzer, and in this past series they beat Miles Mikolas. You know they.
1: Mm-hmm. they
2: those are the types of teams that you're gonna wind up facing in the playoffs. Those are the types of pitchers that are gonna they're gonna wind up tripping their rotation from five to three, and you're gonna wind up seeing these guys a couple of times in in playoff series. So I think that it's uh you never want to want to lose for any reason, and especially not to a team that's 30 games under 500 by the by the All Star break. But as long as you can beat the good teams, there's a certain level of forgiveness I think that that can come with that.
1: Mm-hmm, exactly, and there's never. You'll notice there's no difference in the team when they're dropping these home games to the Orioles versus when they're sweeping the Cardinals. And that is snit. It's just like uh, it, it's just like what Snit said after that homestand. These things are going to happen. You know, you're not going to beat down every bad team you play and you're not going to have a great homestand at every opportunity. And it's just you can tell it kind of bleeds into the clubhouse and they all seen that and they've got a great and it should also be credited that they have an excellent group of guys. I think the clubhouse this year, I don't remember if um if we even talked about this back in back in March, but they really needed I think they needed a couple a couple more leaders in that clubhouse and I I think they needed a couple of changes there. I mean, it's no secret that Matt Kemp thing benefited the clubhouse getting him out of there and good for him uh, what he's doing out in LA. But I, guys like Culberson, I, I really think that they've got the perfect mix of vets and youth in there, and that also has a ton to do with this. And Freddie Freeman and Nick Markakis and them have welcomed the kids just like they're, you know, seasoned vets themselves. I think that makes a difference too, as opposed to all the hazing and all that kind of old school stuff. They've just kind of welcomed them in and treated them as veterans too. And I think mentally that that's been pretty big for those guys.
3: Not to mention, I think the biggest acquisition might have been Anibal Sanchez not for not for anything of his performance although he's been far better than anyone had any right to expect out of him but he's a guy that is actually teaching the pitchers in the dugout during games and Julio especially has learned a whole new style of pitching from Annibal, but it's not just Julio. You see Newcomb taking that same approach where he's focused more on movement than he is on overpowering speed. Uh, Mike Fulton, you credit a lot of it to the, the birth of his son, which by the way is actually a pretty big deal as far as calming folks down. Um, mm-hmm. But you talk about the, the more w- the willingness to rely on his slider and his movement pitches more than just an overbearing fastball. And that 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 screams Anibal Sanchez. Now, I'm I'm not I'm not saying Anibal Sanchez is is some sort of masterpiece player, but he is a guy like Culberson that comes in and energizes your clubhouse in a way that you really do need when you've got so many players that are under the age of twenty five. Uh, and by the way, that youth, it comes with a lot of inexperience, but that inexperience isn't always a bad thing. These guys are always hyped up to play and at that point when you're that young you don't really know enough to be depressed, I guess, when it's not going well. And, you're and always that's, excited. That's a
1: fantastic point, because I've, I've talked about this with McAlpin and a couple other people. Is it's like these the kids don't know that they're not supposed to be good. You know what I mean? It's one of those things where they don't realize you're not supposed to be this good yet.
3: Right, and, like the Ozzie and Acuna bromance.
1: Several of these guys haven't been around for the past few years. And, you know, it's not going to affect Freddie and Nick because, I mean, they've been there, done that. They've, they've been on playoff teams. They've been on horrible teams. So for these kids to come in and they just, they just don't have a clue, and it's, I think it's really helped them. It's been, they're having fun doing it. And this, it's made for probably the most exciting team in the game, the most exciting. I, I watch them regularly, so I guess it's not really <laughs> fair for me to say, but I can't imagine there's many more exciting.
2: And you know that when when they're starting to be national recognition like that, that's the point where it just becomes it's not just fan optimism when you start seeing some of the bigger outlets taking notice and saying, hey, these guys are uh, these guys are actually pretty good. You know, and that's mm-hmm. that that has grown from a tiny spark into a big fire now. I mean, there's and, and part of the, the attention that the Braves are getting are the fact that the Nationals have fallen apart You know, a lot of what what you see is saying the Nationals are seven games behind the division leading Braves. and Oh, yeah, the Braves are really good. It's not just that the Nationals are bad, but so many people have been watching Washington and they've had their arc, which is now kind of uh, you don't want to say it's necessarily coming to an end because they still have some really good players. But, yeah, it's uh, it's really impressive to see to see this team do do what it's done before they were supposed to be doing it.
1: Exactly, and, and it, it did take it did take the national media a while to come around on them. It did feel like they were kind of being under the radar for you know the first maybe probably six or so weeks of the season. But uh, and you're yeah, and the Washington the Washington collapse. I mean, I don't even want to call it a collapse because it really hasn't felt like. I know they had that little bit of a run, but it hasn't really felt like they put it together at any point this year. It just feels like it's it's just been one thing after another. And to the Braves' credit, the Braves' success. Doesn't really have to do with the Nats struggling because they've just been flat out good. The Braves have, anyway. I mean, obviously it helps that Washington isn't playing up to what they should be. But the I mean, the last meeting, the Braves looked clearly better than Washington did. And it's not like and Philadelphia has too, to their credit. So oh
2: yeah.
1: The, and the NL East has sank. It looked at first like the first few weeks, it was like is this division going to be really good? And then of course the Mets. You know, they did the Mets thing, and they dropped <laughs> off the face of the earth, and then the Marlins are the Marlins. But its I still think Washington is going to be heard from at the end, so I, I think it's going to end up being a three-team race. I think that Washington will end up kind of stabilizing things, but at this point I'm not overly confident that they would actually win the division.
3: I, see. I like that you brought up Philadelphia there, because I've been saying this for, for probably about the last week and a half. Uh, I don't – I don't one. I don't think Washington is our biggest competitor in the division. Uh, they've got talent. When you talk about Soto and Harper and Rendon and Murphy and Scherzer and yada yada yada, they've got a ton of talent, just pure baseball talent. But they are the weakest team. I might say the weakest team in the majors mentally. And I, I'm trying not to be biased on it, but that that team does not feel much like like a team. They feel like a bunch of individuals that happen to be playing for the same squad. They do not. They do not seem to kind of get together. And that's, you know, you can make fun of the whole chemistry thing. Like We had fun with that with the whole, oh, you brought in Jose Bautista, you screwed the team. Um, But team chemistry is a real thing. Whether or not you can actually measure it, it's a lot easier to have these rough patches and to come out of these rough patches when you guys generally – like each other and you hold each other to a different standard. So when he when he when Camargo gets a double, all of a sudden Albies wants a homer and things like that mm-hmm. where you're actually and it's it's good-natured and you're trying to do it for the guy next to you as opposed to teams like the Nationals where Harper's just trying to make sure he gets paid and he's got Scott Boris trying to ban the shift because he can't hit against the shift and Rendon started out slow and Strasburg can't pitch in the heat or whenever he gets behind he starts to oh, I've got an injury. I don't think the Nationals. I don't think the Nationals are going to be a team at the end. I I think they've dug themselves so deep into a hole right now. They have the talent to come out of it, but I don't think that they're a team that's built mentally to overcome a hurdle. I look at them as a front runner. The same reason why they've never gone past the first round of the playoffs. I don't think they handle adversity very well, and that's why I think they're getting. I think they've already been bypassed by the Braves, and I think that they've probably been bypassed by Philadelphia because real quiet like. That Philadelphia team, not only are they really, really good with a ton of young, talented players, they're probably my favorite team in all of Major League Baseball to get Manny Machado. They've got the pieces, they've got the spot open to where Manny has has already said that he's not playing third base again, that he's a shortstop. Well, Philadelphia would have no problems replacing uh, Crawford with Manny Machado if it meant having him in the lineup. That's a team that if they add a Machado, you talk about having Nola... And Arietta and Nick Pavetta can go out there and spin a gym for you. Vince Velasquez can go out and strike out 15 guys if he needs to. That's a team that I think – that's the team to watch if you're a Braves fan. That is the team to keep an eye on.
1: And that goes for more than just these next few months. Because, I mean, judging by – and things can obviously change. You never know. But judging by the way that these two organizations look, we're probably going to be doing this song and dance for probably another five years at least, Right. I mean, they've got they've got guys who are controllable. They've got young guys who are just going to keep getting better. They've got money. They've got assets. I mean, there's no reason to bleed either of these teams. And don't get me wrong, Washington. Even if Washington loses Harper, I mean, they've still got they've still got a good team. They can still spend. I mean, they'll still be there. But it, it certainly feels like, and with the other two, you know, the Mets look like they're we don't know what they're going to do, but it's probably not going to be anything that puts them in the top three in the division in the next few years. But And then Miami's going to be a while. So it's really looking like the Braves and Phillies are set up for kind of an arms race these next several years. And it's going to be fun. When I was in Philly, I I had the pleasure, and I say the pleasure, of meeting uh, Hoskins and Kingjury And those are two really good dudes for interviewing, just very level-headed. Uh, Hoskins dropped a trust the process, and he stopped himself. He's like, I know that's a cliche in this town and everything. They're just really likable guys and – I don't know, you just kind of get the feeling that things are really turning around there like they are here. So I think that 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 rivalry is going to be really interesting to watch, and it's a shame that the MLB schedule set it up where these two played each other so much early, and now they don't see each other again until the last 10 days of the season.
2: Those games are going to be really important.
1: Yeah, and those games, I mean, would it be a surprise if those games determine the division? I mean, you're talking about seven of the final 10 games are head-to-head. I mean, you assume these teams are going to be within a few games of each other at the very end, regardless of the trade deadline. So, I mean, yeah, those could very well determine, you know, who wins the division and might determine who goes to the playoffs. A Cardinals writer – I was talking to a Cardinals writer about this, and they just said, well, you know, it's like last year when Milwaukee was leading the Cubs by, like, five games at the All-Star break. It's like, well – we are talking about going back to Washington, that is. I'm like, well, you know, the Cubs, you could kind of feel, okay, this thing is going to turn around. The Cubs were going to figure it out. Everyone knew that the Cubs were going to figure it out, and they did. But with this Washington team, I don't really get that vibe either. I think they're going to hang around, but I think they're going to hang around probably in third. But, this again, this could change, and they're, they're going to be desperate. So, I mean, you, they've already made the move for Herrera. So you might see them make another move or two. If they view this as possibly their window, you know, starting to close <laughs> or whatever's happening with Harper, I mean, they might be desperate enough to make a couple of moves. So we'll just have to see.
3: And they've got a piece that they can move. If they, if they feel like going out and getting somebody big with the emergence of Soto, if they wanted to, and this, I don't even know that they'd want to do this, but if they wanted to get somebody big, Victor Robles is a huge piece to offer to get just about anybody so if they there were there was talks about them going after rice cell iglesias to add yet another dominant bullpen piece um Mm -hmm. if they wanted to they could offer robles which is more than the braves would offer for iglesias and rightly so uh i now i've never been necessarily as high on Robles as as a lot of others have been uh even some of our former guests like like Jim Callis from uh MLB Pipeline I've not really ever been a huge Robles fan I think he's kind of good at everything and not great at anything but that's a huge piece for a team to get back um but we were talking about Machado going to the Phillies and I still think that's what's going to happen I think Machado goes there Philly has the Mm -hmm. money to sign him long term uh I I don't think Kapler would have any problems playing him at shortstop. He would try to figure out some shift to kind of alleviate some of his defensive woes. Um, I think that that's, that's probably that I was, I would put it about 85 to 90% that that's where I would say that Machado's going to land with an outside shot at somewhere like the Yankees. Um, I don't think mm-hmm. that's going to happen because Andujar has been better than they expected him to be. Uh, Glaber Torres looks phenomenal. Um, uh, and Didi is is a very stable presence up there. So that makes you wonder, what do the Braves do? And as you, as you mentioned at the very beginning of the show, we're in a weird spot that we haven't been in for quite a while where we're actually mm-hmm. buyers. We're not looking to shed salary or get rid of people. We're looking at who we can bring in. And you mentioned the Kelvin Herrera thing, which has a lot of people really kind of annoyed and upset because he did not bring a large return back. He brought like the 7th and the 20th prospect from Washington. Neither one of them would have been in the top 20 for the Braves. I say that. Maybe uh, they might have been their their number 7 guy might have been our number 20th prospect. Maybe. Um, but it makes you wonder why they didn't go after Herrera. I don't really necessarily look at Herrera. I've got a few names circled. I wonder if you've heard any chatter about them uh, or if if those are guys that you think Anthopolis and this front office would look at. Riceella Glacius is the obvious one. Uh he's still got a lot of control. Uh, he's got a decent salary, and he's he's not Chapman. He's not one of these super elite closers, but he's in that next level and he is an upgrade on Vizcaino, and by attrition, it makes your bullpen a lot better. Uh, mm. he would cost a fair bit because of that control and because of that proven commodity. Um I, I, I don't know what they'd have to give up. It'd probably have to be. You'd have to start with Freed and work from there. Uh, Blake Trainin from Oakland is the name on everybody's lips. Trainin has been. There's no other word but absolutely filthy this year. Um, it's a little scary that this is really the only year, only year that he's done it. But he's got the most devastating sinker in all of baseball. Uh, if you follow Pitching Ninja on Twitter, then you've seen his gifts completely about every one about one every 10 hours he'll put one up and if you're not following pitching ninja you should because it's hilarious to watch um as far as bullpen goes i think that might be it brad hand's name gets thrown around a little bit zach Mm -hmm. brittons gets tossed around um do you see them going after a big name bullpen piece or do you think that they kind of go after somebody that they can just kind of replace moylan with
1: i wouldn't so let me put it this way this is I know this is very lukewarm, but I could see it going either way. And, uh, well, first of all, like, it depends, because I know for Oakland, for example, Oakland's a team that's always listening, and I know that they're in third place, but they're actually pretty pretty damn good. So if they start selling pieces off, and they, and they might, then, I mean, you're kind of – if I was Oakland, I would be looking toward reloading for next year and really making a run at this thing, because Oakland does have a good team. Um, but – Yeah, I mean, it could – ultimately, it's going to be disappointing for fans. I know ultimately I think they settle for just making an average acquisition. They decide against an Iglesias or a Hand. Uh, I haven't heard Iglesias specifically. I think that would make a lot of sense. I think if you're going to give up some quality assets for a reliever, he would be very high on the list. Uh, I do know Hand is a guy that I fully expect them to look into. I think that's a guy they like. Um, again, San Diego to this point, their demands have not been particularly realistic
3: for him. <laughs> no, they're looking for a top prospect and a major leaguer.
1: <laughs> yeah, uh, that's... that's. If it happens, it's not going to happen with Alex. I can tell you that. Um, so, again, I mean, you're looking at a scenario where they can just kind of... This was an evaluation year. Okay? It's, it's almost like Alex is playing with house money. Because no one... They didn't expect this either. Of course, it's Far surpass our expectations. So, the way they can handle this is make moderate upgrades, and then when winter comes, there'll be more people on the table. There will be more buyers. That's the counterpoint. But you're also, you've had a whole year to kind of evaluate your system. And if you decide that Freed is a guy who has more value to you as a chip than he would is a long reliever or in your rotation or whatever then all of a sudden you've got something to play with. So I think that – I don't think they want to rush into this. And I don't think there's a reason to because I don't know that the window has opened, as stupid as that sounds. Like, they they probably expected the window to open next year. And they're a year ahead of schedule, which is great. But I don't think that that's going to change the way they think about this. And that's to go ahead and start cashing in their chips and trying to get guys, which is why with Herrera, I mean – The Herrera cost kind of surprised everybody. I mean, that was pretty reasonable for him, of course. And they, I mean, they would have benefited a lot by doing it. But at the same time, they didn't want to make a move that early because they're waiting to kind of evaluate their needs and who they're going to be willing to move if they decide Gohara is a guy that we can move, if Freed is a guy we can afford to move. And I'm just throwing names out there, of course. But so, yeah, I would would expect a bigger move if they decided to jump on a guy like Hand. Or, you know, Britain's a free agent. I mean, there's going to be guys this winter that it'll be easier for them to make that move once they kind of have a real view of where the roster I mean, they go to the playoffs, maybe they win a playoff series, and you realize, okay, we're at the cusp, we can go big. You know, it could change their thinking depending on how this season ends. Maybe they collapse down the stretch and miss the playoffs altogether. But I just don't think that there's a reason for them, despite how good they've been, to rush into it. I I looked to Milwaukee last year when Milwaukee kind of considered making a run at some of these guys and decided against it. And then in the winter, they went ahead, signed a big free agent, and made a big trade. So for right now, I tend to lean on them being a little more conservative and letting the market come to them, but we'll see. Well, you would
2: you would mention Brad Hand, okay? So then San Diego has has got a lot of really interesting pieces. What's what seems to kind of get lost in the shuffle here with with the Braves bullpen is that it's not all bad. You've got five, six different relievers that are actually pretty good and can be relied on. You know, you've got this, you've got Mitchell, you've got Biddle, you've got. Uh, Winkler, you've got Carl. Some sometimes you've got Carl. Okay, so you don't need to overhaul everybody. So if you start looking at guys like Kirby Yates, Craig Stammon, who they're like they're mm-hmm. the next step down, not just in terms of uh, tier, but also in cost of acquisition, somebody like either of those guys or both of those guys could make a humongous difference without having to move the world. You know, you're not going to have to trade Ian Anderson to get Kirby Yates. Exactly. You know what I mean. So, and
1: that's, and I feel like that's going to be the most likely scenario. And there's going to be a lot of people mad about it. But there's going to be a lot of people mad no matter what.
2: <laughs> so, right. right. I, you're
1: not gonna, you're not gonna please the crowd. I, I really do. I, I believe this from spring training on that this winter is going to be when and I said this on Twitter today, they've got to decide soon on some of these guys because their value is going to start to erode. Because no matter how much we talk about how great all these young arms are, a lot of these guys aren't going to work out, and we're going to figure that out as they get higher in the minors. So you're going to want to cash these, some of these guys in soon, and that's why Alex was so reluctant to do anything last winter because he was new. And it's just like he admitted about Camargo. He said, I didn't really buy into Camargo because it looked like it was mostly luck. And I had the opportunity to see him play, and we really liked, you know, some of the projections there. So we decided to start him at third base. So I mean, a lot of it. There's just a a lot that goes into it, and I really don't think at this point making a trade for a guy like Machado, who don't get me wrong, they like and they'll they'll be in it. I I mean, to some degree, I believe that. Uh, But I, I just don't see. I don't see the motivation there to really work to outbid some of these teams right now, especially for a rental like that.
3: Well, let me let me throw a counterpoint at you. Uh, and I've been heading up this train, and I will be until it's 100% proven. Doc's already giggling because he knows what I'm going to say. Uh, Jacob DeGrom. I want Jacob DeGrom. I know that's going in big. I don't care. Mm-hmm. Um, my counterpoint to the whole the window hasn't opened yet, I'm fully aware of that too. I, I know we are a year, maybe even a year and a half, ahead of where we are supposed to be at this point. But windows are tricky things. If you were to ask the Mets front office in 2015 uh, if they would be one of the worst teams in the division, they would have looked at you like you were crazy. When you had Steven Matz running the world and Harvey was still good uh, and DeGrom and Thor were DeGrom and Thor, and then you were wondering if it was going to be Zach Wheeler or one of their other guys who was going to hold down that fifth spot. Uh, That team took a nosedive, and that, that is something to ponder about why you don't take for granted that you think you're going to be really good, that things can change in a hurry. Now, DeGrom and Thor, I'm under no illusions. They're insanely expensive, uh, and they should be, particularly DeGrom, because he's generally he's healthy, and he is genuinely a top-five pitcher in all of baseball. I say this because I don't like the cost, because it's probably going to cost you something to start out with, of a Kyle Wright and an Austin Riley. It's going to cost you both of those um, as well as maybe one or two more prospects thrown in. Um, But what you get in that instance, and whether it's DeGrom or Thor, I think it'd be DeGrom that they look at. But when you get a DeGrom, you now have that guy that you can put up against Scherzer and you can feel like, okay, we only have to scratch out one and we can win. And Fulty has been insanely great this year. Newcomb has been great for most of the season neither of those two are guys that you feel when you put up against Chris Sale or Max Scherzer or Clayton Kershaw in a one game set neither of those are guys you feel you don't feel that they're going going to blank the other guys
1: Mm -hmm. no and you are absolutely correct on the window argument Uh, I was talking to somebody about that this morning actually and all I said was yeah, things can things can change really quick and that's why, you know, people crit- you could also have like the Dodgers last year, okay? I mean, they said this is it. We <laughs> have we have like a super team, we're trading for Darvish and the Darvish thing ended up pretty much blowing up in their face in the World Series, but they should still be applauded for it. It's when you see it's just like we just talked about Milwaukee. Milwaukee saw an opportunity. The Cubs when they traded for Chapman <clears throat> saw an opportunity. So I, I have yeah, of course. Um, you don't know how long this is going to be open. You don't know if some a lot of these arms, maybe something happens with faulty and or Newcomb. Maybe uh, Ozzie, maybe Acuna never grows into what they hoped he would be. I mean, Markekis, of course, is a free agent. And even if you re-sign him, you know, to expect him to replicate anything close to this, I think would be asking a bit much at that point in his career. So, yeah, there's definitely an argument for going for it. Uh, this is why GMs get paid as much as they do. Um, and it's up I I, and it's up to Alex and just from what I know I I just don't think that they really view it um but they're in the position where they view it we need we have a team that we can really win with now and I mean they do view it that way it's just a matter of they would be desperate enough to say we need to do this now because we don't know what next year's gonna have because I think they're gonna believe that they're gonna be even better next year and but DeGrom is one of the guys. I've said this before. Degrom's a guy I would, I'd pay a lot for. Um, I would definitely, I'd feel comfortable overpaying for him. I mean, because let's face the facts: if you're trading for a guy like that, there's a good good odds you're going to overpay. You're going to have to. This is why we go back to Washington. I don't know what I don't re- recall what stopped them from getting Chris Sale a couple of years ago, but they ended up paying a pretty heavy price for Adam Eaton anyway. Looking back on it they probably wish they had went ahead and just paid whatever they needed to for Chris Sale because that just would have been unbelievable. So with the Grom it's like you've got the interdivision thing that's gonna complicate it as well. So you're already gonna be overpaying to get him, plus the division tax, which especially with the Mets and Braves, is gonna be it's not like Miami trading with the Braves. It's gonna be a little bit different. And um I don't know, that it's tough for me to see it's not impossible. And, of course, they like DeGrom because literally every team likes DeGrom. So, we'll just have to see. I do think that's something that would happen in the offseason. I do think – I should say I do think DeGrom would be moved in the offseason. I think the Mets will end up hanging on to him at the deadline. But then, you know, you'll just have to see because there will be teams like Milwaukee that – you know, they, they need a starter, and they're going to see a guy like DeGrom, and maybe they view it worth paying, and it'll be easier for the Mets to send him to
3: Milwaukee or to L.A. or wherever than it would to send him to Atlanta. And I don't want to interrupt Doc here, but I do got to say, I've been – is that interdivision thing really that big of a factor? I know it is in football, it is, it is in, in some other sports like that, but – I don't see it as that big of a deal in baseball, and it's because look at it this way. You play these teams 19 times a year. If you're talking about a starting pitcher like DeGrom, worst-case scenario, he faces the Mets, what, five times a year? Worst-case scenario. Mm -hmm. So you're talking about – I don't think that smart front offices operate that way. I think a smart front office takes the best deal that's on the table and thinks that they've got the guys where their cumulative value will be more – than his cumulative value against you. Now, granted, the Mets are not a smart front office. So that, <laughs> throws, that throws everything into a different spin uh, because they are very unpredictable. And I want DeGrom, and I'm going to keep stumping for, for DeGrom because I think that that's the right move. But it would not shock me if the Mets do not trade DeGrom, period. Um uh, it would not shock me if they hold on to him to try to either, A, pretend to their fan base that they're still in it, and to grab some headlines. I think that that would be a very Mets thing to do. Uh, and the
1: two things you just said, grabbing headlines and trying to basically shape their fans' pers- perspective, is exactly why they wouldn't trade DeGrom in the division. I, I mean, that's that's kind of... the lo- It's not correct logic, of course. I mean, you'd want to get the most out of your guy, but the Mets have a history of being more concerned with perception and optics than other things. So I think that when you're looking at it that way, that might be a strong case, at least to the Mets, for them. If anyone could get close, if let's say the Braves and the Phillies both have the best offers on the table, if anyone else could get anywhere close, it wouldn't be a surprise if they didn't take that offer instead.
2: And the last thing that you want for for a Mets fan base that is uh, historically a little bit hard on its team, uh, you know, and and rightfully so in a lot of cases, is for Degrom to to come into Citi Field uh, wearing a Braves hat or a Phillies hat and then shut them down because we Braves are already a hated rival, you know, and that that's how you kind of make it worse. On on the flip side of that, when you're looking at at what you get for. You'd wind up getting two years of DeGrom after after this one. It would almost kind of be just like getting wins and garbage time if DeGrom shows up and he's beating a Mets team that's going to win 66 games over the next couple of years while his contract is running out. But Dylan, you had you and I had spoken about this. I think it was on Sunday when we were talking about Max Freed, okay, mm-hmm. and what whether or not you put a guy like Max Freed in a trade like that or Gahara, or or somebody that's already at the major league level. If Freed can do. What he did against the Cardinals, and and he we're recording this on Thursday, so uh, he he's starting tonight. Um, if he can come close enough to doing what De- Degrom, I mean, basically nobody can really do what Degrom can do, but if he can do some of what Degrom can do at not just a fraction of the price, but at none of the price then, I mean, when you start getting to the point where it's like, I'm going to trade these four guys to get a guy that's only not a marginal but not a gigantic upgrade over what this guy over here can do, then, I mean, do you really make that deal? I, and I was all for it, too, but I started thinking about, like, okay, it's going to take Kyle Wright and Ian Anderson and Austin Riley and Christian Pache. Now, I'm good, dude. I'm good on that. I still do it. You know what it? I
3: mean? I still do it because, as as you and I, as you mentioned, Two or three weeks ago, prospects are suspects. Uh, and you have the capital, and it would suck to lose a Kyle Wright and an Austin Riley. Uh, and I think Austin Riley would be the key piece in the deal because of David Wright and because the Mets don't really have that guy right now outside of DeGrom and Syndergaard, who, by the way, are not going to re-sign with New York, I would imagine, when that time comes. Uh, they don't have that guy to – base that team around they don't have that david wright personality that people can go look at him every day and you talk about a headline grabbing move austin riley can very much be that guy again it comes down to would the mets make a smart business decision a smart baseball decision or would they try to keep the status quo and that is something that is a to me that's a coin flip um you talk about now that's a ton to give up, Doc. You're absolutely right. Giving up Kyle Wright, who we all think is top of the rotation caliber. I don't care what Max Fried does in his next start, he's not Jacob DeGrom um, be, because he, he's just not. Um, Austin Riley hurts because you don't have a player directly behind him, regardless of how much I love John Carlos Incarnacion. Uh, I do believe Riley is going to be an offensive juggernaut. If he can cut down on some of the strikeouts, but I do think that he's built perfectly for today's game. Um, And then you talk about, you mentioned Ian Anderson. Everybody talks about Ian Anderson like he's a throw-in. Talk to some some people around the game. Talk to some baseball scouts and see just how high they are on Ian Anderson. Ian Anderson is not a throw-in. Ian Anderson is a guy that most people who scout the game and who do this type of stuff for a living... Think is the highest upside guy in the Braves farm system, and that's including Tuki Tucson.
2: So yeah, I, I don't really feel like giving that guy to the Mets.
3: <laughs> but Degrom can be your instant ace number one, which would make Kyle Wright more expendable. And and I did that just for you, so that you don't have to give up Soroka.
2: Appreciate it.
1: Well, the like just to, to close my thought on Degrom, if if they just decided. We want to trade for a frontline, controllable starter. The guys who are speculated to be available or the guys who will be available in the winter, DeGrom would probably be the number one guy that I would look at um, if he was obtainable, if New York was willing to do business on him. Because a lot of these other guys like Archer and stuff, I I would feel much, much, much better about paying a premium for DeGrom than than several of these other guys.
3: I don't think a lot of those other guys are front line. That's why I don't yeah. I don't feel like yeah, trading exactly. off big-name assets like that for a guy that doesn't significantly improve you. Because that's the thing. I mean, the Braves have a ton of guys who are 2-4 to four in the rotation right now. We're good there. I'm looking for that number one. And I'm not talking about an ace as, oh, he's the first guy in your rotation. I want an actual ace. But moving on from DeGrom, because I do have one more trade thing, and I promise we'll move away from the trades. Mm-hmm. Um, third base is the other position that everybody talks about. And I'm going to be putting out a piece here relatively soon about my thoughts on this and why I think Camargo has been criminally underrated this season. But have you been hearing have you been hearing anything on the front about acquiring any sort of third baseman? Not necessarily Machado, but, but just another type of a third baseman type of player.
1: Um as far as the trade deadline, I think that they're content to ride it out with Camargo. Uh, see what's there, and then use their resources on the bullpen. That's the vibe I'm getting right now. And obviously that can change. I mean, we do still have, like, what, three weeks? But uh, I think they'll be content to ride it out with Camargo, give him – because, look, I mean, it's no secret that they didn't fully buy into Camargo before Alex even said it on the record. Like, the Flaherty thing, the Bautista – the Batista experiment, as we all like to call it, that was a disaster. He did, you know, he won them that game in Chicago, though. So if they do make the playoffs by one game, you can always reference that. <laughs> but uh, I, I think they're content to ride it out and see what they have with Camargo. I would not at all be surprised if if they could get him at a reasonable rate if they signed a Donaldson. Uh, I think that, you know, everyone kind of speculates about it uh i feel personally i I do feel like that's a possibility you can ask what does that do for riley and i don't have an answer for you because i don't make those decisions um uh, the riley injury didn't really help anything Uh, i'm not sure that we'll see him this year at all at all well i'm not sure that we're going to see him in the majors this year and especially with him in the uh actually in the pennant race so i think if they could maybe get a short Cheaper deal for Donaldson i wouldn 't be surprised if that happened, or maybe Camargo takes control of the whole thing and they don 't they don 't feel a need to do that so uh, i mean there's there 's going to be options there 's going to be cheaper options available for trade um, i just don 't see i don 't see anyone on the trade market right now that would be worth supplanting Camargo and that was my point actually that was yeah. what
3: I was looking for right there because i 've done the numbers on this and Mm -hmm. if you're asking what third baseman are better than camargo obviously you're going to go to like your nolan arenados and your chris bryants Well, guess what those guys aren't available when you're looking at guys Mm -hmm. that are available i was able to come up with three people and i asked doc this question before the show started so i'm going to give you a fair chance if i were to ask for three names of who had performed at least as well or better who would you be able to get like in the majors yes not counting uh bryant and them right just purely guys who are available in trade
1: uh maybe the uh the
3: guy in minnesota eduardo escobar he's number one on the list uh yeah he's actually not um, I, to be fair i've been a little bit lower on escobar and so i really took a look at what he was doing he's actually been outstanding this year mm-hmm uh I wouldn't have a clue on. I mean, I <laughs> guess
1: him just because, you know, we we talk about him a good bit. Just as far as a guy who's kind of a little bit under the radar. Um, uh, are they in the like? Are we are we talking about
3: guys in the NL or AL? One in the AL, one in the NL right now. Uh, uh, what about the guy in Oakland? Uh, I didn't be, put Chapman on there because I don't think they would trade him, but he would yeah, be. He would be available, right? If you want, I can go ahead and tell you these two. One of yeah, them is yeah, not ahead. much of an upgrade, Beltre. He's a name that gets discussed. He's picked up steam yeah. lately as the the Rangers are not going to the postseason. And Beltre's already said that he wants to, to retire as a Ranger. Now, Beltre also did just come out and say that he wants to play the rest of his career with texas so that might throw a monkey wrench into it he's a guy that traditionally does very well he started to pick it up over the last month the power is not where it, where it was so i don't think he's much of an upgrade over camargo and he plays really good defense but it's still that's a toss-up with camargo who has a laser beam arm the other name and this is one that i was sure that doc wasn't going to get and i don't know that many of you are going to get matt carpenter from st louis are you aware of just how good matt carpenter's been this year that, I, the only reason I am is because I was just there. <laughs> You're talking about a guy with 15 homers, a 14 percent walk rate, a 245 ISO. He's on a 306 BABIP, which is actually 14 points lower than it normally is. He's only hitting 255, which is a great example of why you don't scout batting average. Because he's got a three sixty one on base and a five hundred slugging percentage. He's already been worth two and a half war, basically, uh, on an eight sixty one OPS. Matt Carpenter, if you're looking to do that, the problem with Matt Carpenter is he's not really a defensive third baseman. He's really a first baseman who the Cardinals play over at third because Jose Martinez has to has to play first because he is a butcher everywhere. Mm.
1: Well, I'll say – I personally couldn't see the card's trading cart right now. And Texas could definitely trade Beltre, but just like we talked about, why would you do it? Um, Beltre's a fine player. It's just, you know, are you that desperate that you're going to cash in something to go get Beltre when you have Camargo? I mean, is it that big of a difference when this year – for the next few months you spend evaluating camargo i think are probably more valuable than whatever beltre is going to give you this season honestly because then alex can make the determination do we see camargo as a super utility guy do i need to go and look into donaldson you know what do we do with riley i think that it's more valuable to just run. And you're agreeing with me here, but it's just more valuable to ride it out with Camargo and just see what's happening here. And he's been doing, since he took over as a starting third baseman, he's been doing a good job.
3: The so, last month he's
1: been on fire. Yeah. And let's, I mean, we talk about third base as a need, and maybe it will be. I just, could they upgrade there in the offseason? They absolutely could, and they could make him a super utility guy. I just personally, given the team's needs right now, especially with relievers. I just personally don't see why you would go ahead and invest assets and in trying to go out and get a third baseman at this point, especially when you literally just said we're going to stick with Camargo as our everyday third baseman and see what he's got. And then the first chance you get again, you're going to take him out of the lineup. I mean, just ride, just give this guy the rest of the year and see what he's got and then take it from there.
3: I think it's a mixed perception. Everybody likes the new style of baseball, or everybody likes to try to get into it. But you, know, you constantly think of third base as a power position. Well, the, mm-hmm. the thinking about that is you've got Ozzy who's going to have 20 to 20. You think he's going to get to 25 homers before the year's out, uh, not barring anything crazy. Second base is not a traditional power position, so that alleviates some of the need for Camargo to hit 20 homers. And he's on pace to hit 15, 16 of his own, which is more than fine when you consider the defense and everything else involved. My whole point on that is I don't think you need an upgrade at third base. I don't think the conversation should just so quickly be, well, Riley's going to supplant him. I yes. uh, If you were to ask me, is Riley going to be the third baseman? I'll say yes, but I don't think it's as simple as oh, he's just a placeholder. I think Camargo is an outstanding player in his own right and a guy that you want on your team. I agree with you mm-hmm. 100%. It is the bullpen that this team needs to look at because it is the bullpen that really outside of that one pitcher the bullpen is what wins you championships in the long run that's what won the royals their championship that's what traditionally made san francisco so good when you have a top-notch bullpen that is where you win games when you can basically shut down a team from the seventh inning on that's where you win
2: yeah we need a need a little bit of help in the bullpen i I think the offense is for the most part set uh there's kind of been somebody slumping at every point this year, you know, when, when Ozzie was, uh, was kind of just scuffling big time. And then, you know, Culverson was, was playing for Acuna and left and he was surging. He might've almost been outperforming Acuna or, or performing equally at the plate, uh, for some of the things he was doing now, Freddie's struggling, but Ozzie turned it back on. So offense is fine. Uh, Wouldn't kill me to see some type of upgrade as far as rotation goes, but uh, like we were just talking about, Freed is coming in and he's getting his audition, he's getting his shot. Gahara looked better yesterday, with the exception of the home run. He looked better than he's looked for most of the year, so um, maybe going down to Gwinnett and kind of stretching out a little bit has done him some favors, so... Uh, the answer may may already be here in some capacity, and it was nice to see Phillips step in, even though he he wound up giving a giving up a home run too in the little league park that is Yankee Stadium. But uh, you know, there's the pieces are there. They they might not need need to be that big of an external addition. Uh, Michael Gibbons uh, could be a really interesting piece uh, if there's any type of trade talks with the with the Orioles uh, to gauge who their uh, who they would want for Manny. You could just kind of bait and switch and say oh well, what about this guy over here you know and wind up adding adding in that way because i think he's got a couple years of control so yeah that's that's what that's what i got but uh <laughs> this past this past week uh this was supposed to be the week where everybody was this is like the make or break week you know you got the series against the cardinals and then the yankees and now with the brewers starting tonight and if Everything goes well. That's when you can really be in the position to add. They they sweep the Cardinals. They they never looked overmatched against the Yankees. They lost two out of three. But if you take that same series and you move it out of out of Yankee Stadium, you play that same set of games at SunTrust Park. Everything is completely different because it's not three fifteen to to the corner and right field. I mean, that's like most of the home runs that got hit in that series are not home runs in SunTrust, including Acuna's. So uh even take from for that what you will for,
3: what's that? to so take from that what you will
2: yeah, I mean there there's uh it it can mean good things and bad things, but uh but I think that uh, the fact that the Braves have uh they had beat the Red Sox one out of three earlier this year, they beat the Yankees one out of three you know they they can hang with these guys. It's just a matter of taking the next step, so I'm impressed by what I saw and if if they can. Split this series with Milwaukee, that's a six and four road trip, and I think that going into it, we all would have agreed that that would have been a successful run here.
1: And this and this last trip in Milwaukee, I consider it a lot just a lot more important than that series in New York was. I think that uh, there's a good chance the Brewers are a team that you're going to see in October. And these are these are two teams that are still new to the whole contending thing, and we want to see how they handle the big stage. And so, especially with it being four, I mean, that's it's just going to be really interesting to see.
3: Now, we're going to get to our fun section here soon. But, Doc, you brought up the whole thing in New York. And what's been buzzing everybody about New York was Tehran's start. And if you're scouting the stat line, it doesn't look good. Five runs and five innings and all that. I thought Tehran pitched really, really well. He had three bad pitches, two really bad pitches. He had the home run to Judge, and then he had the three-run shot to Stanton. And the three-run shot was what killed him, but he had—you saw him get ten strikeouts. His velocity was actually up, which was really nice to see. He wasn't struggling to hit eighty-nine. His velocity was up. His movement was pretty good. Uh, it was just one bad pitch that opened up the game for him. And that—that's kind of the whole thing right now. Is everybody's kind of hating on on or you know calling for Julio's head that day? I didn't think he pitched badly, and I'm, I'm saying that because. Gabe, your colleague and Mark Bowman uh, had a, an interesting tweet that I haven't really seen Bowman kind of go into that realm before, where he seemed very angry that Camargo wasn't there to tell him why he threw that pitch to Stanton. Uh, go on. What I wanted to ask is, has, and I'm not trying to, I don't want to, I don't want to attack anything. So all I'm asking is, you came in during the summer. Has this front office been? different as far as hand like giving out information basically because i know i know coppola happened to be he was very very open with a few select guys uh and and just with the the way that that went down i wonder is alex a little bit more closed off to where you're having to kind of guess for things a little bit more um personally i can't comment on how you know
1: people in the organization handle it uh especially like Specifically, all all I can say is that things are really tightly run now. Um, So there's definitely a difference as far as just. It's like and I think we talked about this in March, like it was there was some clear discontent last year. Um, Different employees felt different ways. And, you know, when people are unhappy, that gets around really quick. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And especially when everyone's unhappy. So it's a lot different now people are going to be less willing to talk when they're treated right. And so, I mean, just as far as, you know, airing dirty laundry and what, whatnot. So I can't fully comment on that. Um, but I will just say that there, it's definitely, it's definitely got a much, much, much different vibe and you can feel it from every end of SunTrust Park.
3: And I, wasn't, I wasn't saying that to be, to be mean or anything. I actually think that while it makes your job significantly harder that's a good thing for a baseball organization to be run that way because you don't want leaks everywhere. You want things to be tight, and you want everybody to be good and happy and, and do that. It was just something I'd been wondering because I haven't seen Bowman do that in a while. So I, I, I thought something might be a little bit different, and I appreciate you being able to go out as far as you did on that. Um, one other thing I guess I'll get to, try to lighten the mood on there a little bit. Um, you mentioned going here into, into Milwaukee and how big a stretch this is. I just want to point out again how insane this is that we are in July now, and we are talking about huge matchups, and you mentioned this is somebody that you could meet in October if somebody had asked you how much you would ha how much they would have to pay you to go out on a limb and go on to uh and go on the record as saying the Braves would be a playoff team, what would they have had to give you?
1: Oh man. I felt at this point they would be probably within five to seven games of a wild card. So I didn't I didn't think they were going to be bad. I just felt like they were going to win, you know, seventy eight to eighty games. So you would have had to pay me a. I don't want to put a number on it, but you would have had to pay me a decent sum, but nothing ludicrous.
3: I mean, this is like, a team that set up to win have, ninety. If you
1: told me that they were in playoff position, I would assume you meant the second wild card. So I would be like, okay, I guess I could sort of believe that because remember last year when they were 45 and 45, uh-huh. I like, okay. I could, I could talk myself into them being maybe around the second wild card at this point. If you told me they were in first place, <laughs> like. Like what? Are they, uh, close to the best record in the NL. I'd have to look at the same. Second best, now. It I believe. Seems like it changes every day.
3: I think they're only um, behind Milwaukee for the best record, actually. E-
1: exactly. So they're right. They have the chance to take it from them uh, this weekend. So as you told me that, that would have required quite a bit because the Dodgers were my World Series pick. Um, I thought the Dodgers were going to come back strong. I didn't think they were going to win 104 games again, but I thought they were going to be good. I thought Arizona was going to be good. I thought Colorado was going to be good. Um, the trio of teams in the Central. I thought the Cardinals were going to be a lot better, and then I, I thought I thought the Mets were going to be significantly better, and I thought Washington was going to be Washington. So, no, I, I, it's it's pretty it's pretty hard to believe it. it. It's played out, and they've gone out and taken it. It's not like they were because remember they were playing winning teams early. It's not like they were beating up on the O's. Right. You know, it, it's not it's, This isn't some fluke, it's not like they got off To this good start, I mean they have Cooled off since, but they were, they've were they been Beating good teams this whole time, so it, they've def, They definitely deserve to Be where they are.
3: I mean they had a brutal Stretch to start the year really, once you got <laughs> exactly. out of That first setup where you were just Playing, you know, Philly all the time And Gabe Kapler kind of struggled In his debut um, mm-hmm. But it, it looked like Philly was going to be a bad team Well now that you look at that Philly team, you're like, holy crap Alright
1: Exactly. <laughs> and what about the what about that their second their first three game road trip of the year included uh, the Rockies, the Nats, and the Cubs, and of course that disaster in Chicago that nobody wants to talk about. Their second three city road trip was the Reds, the Phillies, and the Mets, and they started that trip 0 and 2 in Cincinnati against a team that was 3 and 18. And they turned around and had a seven and three trip. They called up Acuna, and they only lost once afterwards. I mean, they, they've they've had some pretty impressive runs. I, I mean, they've been playing tough teams. They've had some tough road trips. Uh, they already they made the LA trip. They got to make the Arizona San Fran trip, I think, in September. But I mean, they they're putting themselves in
3: good shape. By the way, how about Jim Riggleman? How about some what he's done over there in Cincinnati? Because since he's kind of taken over over there. They are doing great. And, They're in yeah, a lot a lot better shape than they were a few months ago. I mean, that's three
1: and eighteen to, I mean, and the Cardinals just. If you look at what the Cardinals did to them in like the first
3: month, they, it was abuse. They, the Cardinals
1: are above five hundred because of the Reds, right? And that, I mean, it's
3: <laughs> that team's a good team, by the way. If you overlook, they've got massive problems in their pitching, in their starting pitching. Uh, mm-hmm. but you look at their lineup, their lineup is one of the deepest in the game when you're talking about Jeanette and Suarez and Votto and uh Shebler and uh Jesse Winker can he's kinda under the radar, but he's he's a little like Marcaicus where he just goes up there and tends to have good at bats and grinds it out and Paraza's having yes. a pretty good year. Tucker Barnhart is one of the is quietly one of the better options at catcher that you'll see in the majors who doesn't get a lot of fanfare, but felt, they felt good mm-hmm. enough about him to just ship off Mezzarocco for, for Matt Harvey, which has turned up aces for them. I did not think that that would yeah. work. So a little bit of love for Jim Riggleman, who everybody knows how badly that ended in Washington with him. Uh, mm-hmm. Done a phenomenal job with Cincinnati. And there's, and there's
1: and it, it's relevant to the Braves because the Pirates and the Reds, there's some spoiler, spoiler potential there in the Central as far as what happens down the stretch i mean assuming that the cardinals are still in it they very well might not be but the, and if and if they're not then there's some spoiler potential there too as far as the brewers and cubs go if the braves are uh, jockeying for home field advantage with those two
2: all i know well, is- like you <laughs> said they they started out uh, 3 and 18 since that time they are 35 and 31 so that's yes. a, they're they're a much better team than their position in their division will tell you
1: and they're beating good. They they four-game swept the Cubs just before they came to Atlanta and took two out of three. I don't remember if the Cubs series was in Chicago or Cincinnati, but it doesn't make a difference. I mean, that's still impressive nonetheless. And then they come into Atlanta and they win two out of three against the Braves. I mean, they're, they, they look good. I mean, good for them. Fans deserve it there. They haven't had much to cheer for
3: in quite a while. Trying like 15 years they've been the butt of all the jokes looks like just getting walt Jockety out of there was worth 35 wins um (laughs) but we are at the point in time where it is time to get to the levity and and more fun type of our show um gabe you did this with us a little bit last time but we have it flushed out now uh doc has taken this segment and ran with it so without further ado i will turn this over to my illustrious co-host
2: thank you sir yeah gabe you know the drill here we've got six uh, borderline ridiculous questions for you or sure. uh, five and a request for a story uh first of which being um i don't know if you watched a lot of tv uh, when you were a kid but mm-hmm. i i feel like I, I used to watch sitcoms all the time in the days of like tgif you know family matters and boy meets world and all mm-hmm. um what tv sitcom had the best theme song Oh man, I I don't know. Uh,
1: My favorite well, my favorite sitcom ever, Seinfeld. But there really wasn't a you know what I mean. Mm -hmm. It wasn't a theme song. It was just the the little popping sounds. I I don't know. I probably I probably like the Family Matters theme if I had to pick one.
2: That's a good one. Yeah, that is actually that would
1: probably be my pick. But again, I I mean, there might be another one I would have to think of. It's uh. I don't know. Probably Family Matters.
2: Dylan, what do you got?
3: That seventy show. Always. Um
1: That's a good yeah, that's a good one too. That's and, one, that'd be
3: that'd be my top. Tell you what, I love the Scrubs theme song. I've never been able to watch an mm-hmm. episode of Scrubs and not sing along to it. <laughs>
2: it's been so long since i've seen an episode i don't know if i, uh,
3: how dare I actually you. remember how dare you sir no
2: no no I've, I've seen it a lot i just haven't seen it in a very long time so it didn't you know like i've seen enough family matters to, to where when gabe said that then i was like i could even see like the the text on the screen you know what i mean but
3: uh <laughs> although three is pretty strong too
2: yeah i had uh i I don't know if you guys all know this. I'm a humongous fan of the Golden Girls, uh, not just of the show, but of of the theme song. (laughs) Love that. And also uh, growing pains as far as far as theme songs, The show is eh, whatever. But the the theme song was just was just amazing. But uh, okay, so moving moving on from that, uh, I know that you are on the road a lot and I don't know how often you have the opportunity to cook for yourself. But uh, what is a dish that you can prepare better than anybody you know? um microwavable soup
1: (laughs) (laughs) that is such a bachelor
3: Um, answer uh,
1: i I let to say i'm not i'm not really you know it's one of those things it's one of these things that i've said oh man you know i really want to i really want to you know get people to teach me how to cook i really want to do it i want to get good at it and i've been saying it for like four years so it's (laughs) it's probably going to be one of those things i just talk about forever and never actually get good at
2: <laughs> well what's what's your favorite type of soup to microwave
1: uh god i don't i have no idea um i'll eat pretty much anything so anything with chicken in it i'll eat
2: fair enough dylan what can you dominate in the kitchen
3: First off, that was the most bachelor answer I've ever heard in my entire life. Uh, no, that was. <laughs> I love it. Uh, the one thing that I am really, really good at cooking, um, and I can cook a few things. I'm pretty good on a grill, and I'm pretty handy. I can cook pretty well. But the best thing I do is it's it's kind of like my own take on jambalaya, only I use yellow rice and dewy sausage and shrimp and some cheese sewn in there and a few secret spice blends that I won't tell anybody about. Um, But when I mix some of that up, it is fantastic.
1: That's a better answer than I had. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Are you going to have to have a, have us uh, over for uh, over for dinner? I want to try the jambalaya.
3: I, it's not really jambalaya, so I can't really call it that. But that's the closest thing that I can say. It sounds better than rice and sausage.
2: Well, yeah, if, if you round, that's a that's a jambalaya. It might also be a gumbo, but I don't know what the what the cutoff is for yeah. for classification.
3: Uh, I think gumbo has to require some like rotten pieces of food and shell and just basically whatever you were going to throw <laughs> into the trash, you throw it into a pot and that's gumbo and somehow it tastes delicious.
2: You know, I, uh, I actually it was based on a song, but I, I love the song gumbo so much that I actually named my dog after it. So. <laughs> <laughs> well,
3: what about you there, Mr. Questionnaire? What's, what's your dish and don't come oh. at me with any of this vegan stuff.
2: Oh well, I I have uh, perfected the bowl of vegetables for lunch, which I call the Thunder Bowl. But uh, no, I I have over the years I have perfected a pork tenderloin marinade. It's it's just oh, it's just fantastic. Oh, look at you. Yeah, yeah. How about that? So, uh, but yeah, I had the opportunity when I was uh, after I my with the uh, the music dream die and I went back to went back to school, and I went back to work in restaurants. I, I got the chance to work with some. Uh, some really good chefs not just cooks but like actual uh, chefs and i learned learned a lot from them as far as flavor profiles and stuff go but i didn't actually wind up getting to implement any of that until after valerie and i got married and we started uh cooking at home a lot so oh. uh so well. yeah uh, and we cooking is very uh it's it's fun it's meditative and food is memories until so you I'm have like to clean that. up
3: What's up? And said until you have to clean up, and then it sucks. But uh, oh
2: yeah, that, that's the worst part.
3: Well, so. now that I know that about you, you can settle a dispute between my mother and I. Uh, chicken and dumplings, cinnamon? Yes or no? For me? Because I will add cinnamon when I make like, chicken and dumplings.
2: Nah,
1: I'll try it. <laughs> <laughs> I might not like it, but I'll try it. Like I'm, I'm down for whatever
3: i like that that's a clean palette right there
2: mm-hmm. i mean i would i would try it but i would uh i would probably not that would not be the first spice that i would i would reach for
3: not a lot <laughs> just to kind of give it just a little sweet on there
2: it's an intro well, yeah well all right so
3: as i derailed the <laughs> segment
2: I don't, I don't know how to transition <laughs> um yeah. So I'm just gonna slam right into the next one, Uh, Gabe. How many pull-ups can you do? I could. Sorry, I can't say that. (laughs) Uh,
1: (laughs) You can beat me out. Uh, You get
3: the clown honk.
1: (laughs) All right. (laughs) You can beat me out. Uh, I don't. You know, I don't really know, but I can do a ton because I don't weigh a lot. So it's like super easy. I'm a. I'm like a really skinny dude. So I could do. Golly, I don't know. Thanks for the friendly reminder, though. Um, (laughs) (laughs) uh,
2: Just straight
1: straight without stopping at all? Yeah. I don't know. That's a good question. I might have to I might have to like tweet you about it or I might have to like do it after this and tweet you how many I made to, made it through. I usually to, to do a ton though. I, I you usually I could do a ton just because when you don't weigh anything it's it's pretty easy.
3: More or less than Ben Ingram.
1: <sighs> uh Ben Ben could do more than me. Yeah, Ben Ben's much more muscular than I am.
2: I hate to admit that, but <laughs> he, he could he could definitely do more than me. Well, Ben did an Iron Man. He's he's like a kind of, and I mean this is a term of endearment, but he's kind of a freak of nature in that way.
1: <laughs> ben, That's, you could have just called him a freak and stopped there.
2: <laughs> well, I, I, you know, I, I probably so. I don't know if uh, you know he and I aren't quite on the terms where I can refer to him as that. So, uh, <laughs> but yeah, l- let us know. I would be curious to know how many you can do. Uh,
1: yeah, I'm kind of curious myself because it has been a while. I'll, I'll I don't know. I'll, I'll have to get back to you on that.
3: All right, cool. Uh, Dylan, pull-ups? Well, this seems like a question that was just geared for you to show off a little bit. Um, sadly, I know the answer to this because I just did it probably about four days ago, and it is depressingly low as compared to what I used to be. I am at 12 without stopping. That is depressing. That's somebody pretty uh-huh. good, man. No, that is, I will be honest, that is almost a third of what I was doing even five years ago and like i was much much higher than that at my peak
2: you gotta stop eating so much jambalaya
3: you know what some things just aren't worth it
2: i mean i honestly i don't know how many how many i could do i mean i like my first thought was like 15 20 because i i never like do just one thing at a time so like it's it's hard for me to actually say but i mean i don't think i could do that much more than 12 so i think that gabe is gonna is gonna wind up taking the title here i,
3: I would pretty I much guarantee comfortably you could. say i'm over 12 i would guarantee <laughs> that you could doc with the spartan things that you do and and the ridiculous amounts of running which still seems crazy to me that people run for fun but with you doing that i would i would guarantee that you're going to be somewhere at the very lowest you'll be at about 20.
2: well i i do appreciate that i did i did run a race yesterday and uh my I sweat so much my shirt weighed like six pounds by the time we were uh, <laughs> we were all done. It wasn't too hot because it was in the morning, but it was it was humid as hell, like actual hell. And an ambulance showed up for somebody. So, um, but yeah, there were no pull ups involved. So, uh, yeah, that wasn't that wasn't so bad. So, Gabe, you uh, you were able to kind of strike the balance on Twitter between like like you're very professional you're you're very well spoken but you're also like one of us you know what i mean and and i know that you get people tweeting just absolutely obnoxious at you all the time go ahead and grab that clown honk again dylan um but so first off you and grant macaulay are are some of the best i've ever seen at managing to get your point across while still coming off very neutral but I wanted to know what uh, what are some of your favorite overreaction tweets that you have ever gotten?
1: Um, well, first of all, thanks for the compliments. I don't deserve. Uh, oh come on. Some of my like overreaction like tweeted directly to me.
2: Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, you you had posted the the email that that the the one guy that was in his 70s. yeah that was awful
1: yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, uh. Somebody tweeted one time that they should try Julio at closer. (laughs) Um, I lost my mind. I shared that one with the whole press box. Um, Any DFA tweet is always really funny. Because, I mean, there's probably Dodgers fans that are ready to DFA Kershaw if he has a bad day. Um, So the DFA tweets are always good. Trading. Oh, yeah. And then someone said, why can't they just trade – Moylan, Camargo, and name two other guys who are like Sims or something and get Moose and Duffy. Those are good. Um, <laughs> there's so many of them. It doesn't really like when, if you ask me to say, like, what's one tweet? It's hard to do because there's so much dumb. Um, <laughs> that it's hard for me to just sit here. And I just remember the Julio one because I think that was recently. And I was talking to some people about that. I'm like, oh, yeah, let's try Julio at closer. That'll end great. Um, send everyone down to the minors. That, that's another one that, get, that gets really old. Everyone's ready to send Dansby to the minors. If he ever goes 0-3, it's time to send him back down. Uh, Have
3: you ever had any that you had to respond to that you just couldn't – like?
1: That you just I usually, I'll say this. I usually don't. That's where Dave and I strongly differ. Um, huh. Dave <laughs> obviously gets a real kick out of quote tweeting every <laughs> stupid thing, it, or smart thing in his mentions. Just anything in his mentions, and uh, I can't do that. I don't want to spam people's timelines. Um, something so stupid. Oh, there was someone who said there was someone up in Philly who tweeted at me, and this person blocked me. It's the only time in my life I think I've been blocked or that I knew I got blocked. Someone had tweeted at me that you can see it's really hard to play in Philadelphia. They've got the best home field advantage in baseball. And I was like, what? I was looking around, and the announced attendance was like
3: 18,000. <laughs> like, you could hear a pin
1: drop in that place. And so I quote tweeted them, and it was like, Hos- we'll just say Hoskins, it, I don't think it was him, it was someone else, but like, Hoskins hit the home run that ended up winning it, and I quote tweeted and said, yeah, the crowd's energy carried Hoskins' ball over the wall,
2: <laughs>
1: and apparently this person, which isn't nearly one of the, that's nothing compared to what I usually say, apparently this person took exception to that and blocked me, because I remember <laughs> clicking to read it, and it didn't let me read the tweet, and then I saw I was blocked, and I was like, I didn't even re- think that was that funny. Like that wasn't even. I just made the comment, like, because you told me that this is the best home field advantage in baseball. Like, there's nobody here. Right. <laughs> I mean, don't get me wrong. The Phillies had some rocking crowds back in the day, and those fans are some of the best fans in sports, and they're going to get back out there. But at that moment, that was that was sure as hell not one of the best home field advantages in baseball.
3: Wrong. Philly fans are trash. Yeah, that one that one trashed. hit me hard because I was just
1: like, what? Why on earth would you say like? I get it if we're at Wrigley or something, but the Philly right now—that <laughs> one took me by surprise.
3: That's just Philly. They're all trash people anyway. No,
1: I think it was a Braves fan too. That's what really threw me off, and I was like, "Why is it?" I, I didn't know if it was sarcasm or what, because it's I like, "Why is a Braves fan bragging on the Phillies at all?" But because uh, sometimes we'll get like Nats fans, and I had, like in the St. Louis series, Cardinals fans for some reason kept jumping in my mentions, getting mad. Um, that's best, best fans in baseball. So
3: yeah. Oh, that's the running joke. Who
1: am I to say anything? So I just kind of let them do their thing.
2: Now I know that I know that you deal with a lot of uh, a lot of stupidity for for a lack of a better term. I mean, just just kind of what uh, what I see. Not even stuff that that's directed towards me, but just some of the things that I see people saying. You know, people talking about. Braves are going to go two and eight on this road trip and uh, <laughs> t- turn into sellers. And uh, they have all of the starting pitching sucks, and there's no power hitters. And Freddie's hurt again. I'm like oh, well, the thing
1: is, is like if if I tweet out Aussie's hitting 188 in his last ten games, people will jump in your mentions and be like, "What do you have against Oz? Oh like, yeah, really? Like I, I've never understood why people view it that way. Like I'm a sports fan too. Like, uh, I follow other teams. I, I, don't, I don't understand why you would do that. Like, obviously, I don't hate the guy. I'm just putting the stat out there. <laughs>
3: well, that was uh, that was what I was going to say is, as beat reporters, as somebody else who's, you know, I, I do radio as well, uh, somebody mm-hmm. else who's kind of in that same sphere, the amount of people who think that uh, you can just go up to, say, Alex Anthopoulos or Brian Snicker and be like, hey, Quit being so dumb. You need to do this. Quit being stupid. Uh, and that you'll still be able to do your job is mind boggling. Like, they have, like, they, they think that you can just go up to somebody, tell them that they're horrible, that they need to be fired, and quote unquote hold them accountable as if uh, they owe you something, and think that you get to keep your job when that team says, hey, by the way, I'm not telling you anything anymore.
1: It's not, yeah, it's, it's not that easy because once you piss somebody off, it gets around the clubhouse. It, it gets it gets around, and there are players who will – I know of an instance – I can't talk about it. I know of an instance that Nick Marque has pulled somebody aside. Like, there are – you just – you have to be careful with this kind of stuff. It's okay to voice your opinion. And, I mean, when I'm putting stats out there, the players aren't going to refute it because, they, I mean, that's stats. And right. And if there's a decision, like I talked earlier about when Snit lifted Biddle, for Moylan to face Fam in that St. Louis game and he hit a three-run homer, we're going to ask about that. But it, it, it's it's not – we can't sit here and we're not bloggers. We can't just go on – and, I, and I, I was a Dodgers blogger before I did this job, so I understand what that's like. But you can't just kind of go in there on the offense and start trying to push these guys all the time. This is a really long season, man. <laughs>
3: Well, it's a, it's a different type of rapport and relationship that you have to have with those players because you will mm. obviously want everyone to do well, but it is also your job to report when things are not going well, too. So, like, exactly, it, it yeah. is a different type of job, and I always get a kick. Those are always my favorite overreactions. Those and the ones who will at Braves Twitter, they will at the Braves Twitter to say you need to DFA this person or – you need to. And
1: my friend runs the Braves Twitter, and we just kind of laugh about it. So it's. <laughs> keep doing it because I think it's funny. So you need to tell your friend. <laughs> so
3: if, if they listened. If your friend listened to them and could actually DFA everybody they said, the Braves would not have a player left on the roster.
1: Oh, I mean, oh, there no, were no, people I told, that. I, I told Bowman, when was this? Uh, uh, I can't remember what. I think this might have been the time they brought in Sims. It might have been that 14 inning game with a. Uh, Sokolovic, uh, it, it was one of those disasters. That was
3: that was actually the game that I was talking about earlier in the show. That's the one that I was annoyed at.
1: Yeah, that game was just. A bit, uh, I mean, when when he didn't use Viz or Mentor, and everyone lost their minds. That was a top. By the way, that was a top five day on Twitter. I have had it. <laughs> in the that was that was phenomenal. I, I
3: mean,
1: when, whenever I would I would just tweet out like Moylan's warming up in the bullpen, and just everyone starts losing their minds. That was fun. But anyway. Um, <laughs> Yeah, uh, I, I think I told Bowman I, I walked by and I was just I was just like, it looks like we're going to have an entirely new bullpen to cover tomorrow if the fans get their wish because we're about to swap out every single arm here <laughs> for guys that we've never heard of. I guess they're just going to bring in guys off the street to come pitch the seventh inning tomorrow because we're we're about to see an entirely new group here. It's like the, it's like basketball where you're just going to sub out everybody and bring in a whole new group. So.
2: Uh, it's it's tough to stay neutral with with all of it and, uh, to, on on those particularly bad days. The uh, you know, it's it's it sucks, but we're all watching the same game. You know what I mean? It's it's crazy how how some people just swing so immediately and, and start tweeting at the players. I mean, that's that's the worst. If you want to tweet at the brave social media account. I mean, that's that's not like a direct line to Anthopolis, you know, wait, is it No, But uh but, like, tweeting at Julio that that he sucked after yesterday's game. I saw a lot of people doing that, too. I mean, that's, like, that's just ridiculous.
1: And it's, but, man, and I don't understand what it is, and I think Braves fans, a lot of Braves fans are more guilty of this than other fan bases. I think it's because they're more, a lot of them lean football over baseball, which is perfectly fine. But it's, like, there's 162 of these, man. Like, that guys yeah. have bad days, mistakes, managers are gonna do dumb things sometimes, I mean, just like I'm going to have typos. I mean, it's just that there's a lot of these games, and you can't magnify off days. You're going to lose some games 10 to nothing. You just have to get – it's not like football, man. Like, <laughs> it's not – you know, I get, I'm going to get much more – I grew up a Braves fan, and uh, I would obviously get a ton more mad when the Bucks would lose, which was a lot, <laughs> than I would when, you know, the Braves would have a bad week even. Because it's just like, I mean, come on, like th- this is so different. Even, even the best teams, even the Dodgers last year, they had a bad stretch. Houston had a bad stretch, man. It's it's like you just can't freak out and be ready to change half the roster because the team went two and four in a home stand. You know, granted that was a little bit of an extreme example, just because the bullpen did blow three leads. So it was fair to be like, okay, we need to see some changes in the bullpen now, but. In most circumstances, no. There's not going to be a couple of changes after a short period of struggle in baseball.
2: No, agreed. Very, very well said. That's the the best part about it is that there's just so much of it. Yeah. Well, all right. Thank you for uh, thank you for taking the time for for that one. I've actually really been looking forward to asking that. But uh, mm-hmm. so. Um, when you drive, first off, what do you drive? And second, uh, what is your typical level of road rage?
1: Um, I drive a blue Elantra. Uh, I love my car. Um, I, you have to understand, man, Atlanta just makes you angry. It, it's like it, I don't know anyone who can just drive through Atlanta being really happy. The traffic here is horrible, especially <laughs> driving to SunTrust Park on, like, 2 or 3 p.m. It's like horrible. So my road rage is I'm fine, but as soon as traffic starts to pile up, if I'm sitting there, it gets bad. I would say uh, I'm probably about an eight out of 10. (laughs) And when things start to really cook, I I can be very angry.
2: (laughs) Do you, uh, do you get like really creative with the things that you wish on people?
1: Um, no, I never wish anything on anybody. Um, Everybody needs to live their best life. I'm not like that. I just say a bunch of mean things. <laughs> and I, 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 I tend to yell. So um, I'll kinda I'll kinda and say say things my mom probably wouldn't be proud of. But, uh, you ever that, caught yourself raising?
3: The extent of my anger. You ever caught yourself raising your hands at somebody, or have somebody catch you doing that to you, do them in the car? Doing what? Raising your hands? Like what are you doing? And have the hands no, going for I, emphasis? I'm not really
1: a hands kind of guy. Like sometimes I'll kind of like hit the steering wheel. Like what's going on here, man? And I'll you know. I'll sometimes like glance at somebody if I'm like what the hell are you doing. <laughs> but it, it's not, you know, it, it doesn't get it doesn't get that bad. Like if I have to be somewhere, if I'm on my way to the ballpark and the traffic is just hung up, then I'll be angry. If I'm just driving home or something, I don't care at all. Like I won't really get mad at all if I'm not on a time limit. But if I need to be somewhere, I'm just like anyone else in that respect. I guess some people just get aggravated by traffic in general. But my for me, wife. it's just if I'm on my way somewhere. And that's why I like the road because I just Uber everywhere. So even if there's traffic, it doesn't really make me mad.
2: <laughs> no, that's that's actually a very good point. My my grandfather uh, said once upon a time, you never really learn how to swear until you learn how to drive. <laughs> yeah, and yeah, and I um, I I work from home. Right. So yeah. I, I never have to drive anywhere. So if I'm in a, if I'm in some type of traffic jam that has like eight cars in it, I tend to get a little hot under the collar. So getting on 285 is just it's just bad oh news. My for me. Oh,
1: my God. It's terrible. And it, it's only a four and a half day work week here. So like your Friday at around lunchtime, 285, you can't go on. Because for some reason, everyone can leave work at noon on Friday in this town. So, I mean, it just gets crazy. And Dave gets so much – he gets so much madder at traffic than I do. Dave is like the (sighs) ultimate getting angry at traffic. He'll come in the press box. And he doesn't mind me telling you this, I'm sure. But he'll just be, like, so furious over whatever happened at traffic. And it's kind of hilarious. But, uh, (laughs) but, you know, it's bad, man. Here in L.A., I think, are the two – in this country that are just really, really bad. There's other ones, but I, I think Atlanta and LA are probably the two top ones.
2: You have had kind of a, a bad hand, don't you, in, in those, two, those two markets. But, uh, man, that's a mess. Dylan, do you, do you freak out when you drive? You seem like you're pretty zen a lot of the time.
3: So I'm like completely 50-50. So, like Gabe was saying, if I have somewhere I have to be and people are driving like idiots, I will freak out. Uh, I am the guy who will you know, be throwing the hands everywhere and will be um, saying things that I cannot repeat on the show. Um, some very, very mean and disgusting things that I would not say to most people's face unless you got me right out of the car. Um, to my chagrin, I have rolled down the window and yelled at somebody out my window before. Um, but for the most part, for the most part, I'm pretty tame. I'm the tamest one of my family. I don't get real crazy, mostly because I've got a kind of a different outlook, whereas for the most part, if it's going to take me, like say traffic means where I live, uh, well, it might take me an extra 10 minutes to come home. 10 minutes doesn't matter that much to me if I'm on my way home already. Eh, doesn't really matter. So that doesn't bother me. Um, if somebody is an idiot and like, like, the thing that bothers me is traffic on an interstate because you're all going straight. So that is when I get the most angry, that you can create a traffic jam going straight.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And to be stopped, that's, what, that's where I lose my mind, is when we don't move. If we're moving slowly, I can tolerate it. It's when we don't move at all that I lose my mind.
3: Right. And you can look at ways and see there's no wreck. It's just, so yeah. for some reason, some idiot stopped up there.
2: Yeah. Well, this is, this is the rubbernecking capital of the world. You know, if there if there is a wreck, I mean, there's not a person that is on that freeway that's not trying to figure out exactly what happened. You know what I mean? Just staring at it right as right as you roll by. So that yeah, that's terrible. And and that just that feeling when you're looking at ways, it's just traffic jam. <laughs> right. Forty five minutes, and
3: like, you see that you're like five miles from an exit that you can get off.
2: Right. Uh, uh, might as well be on the turnpike somewhere. Right. <laughs> but all right gabe well look man i know that you've uh you have given us an hour and a half and uh we just appreciate all of it and i have just one more thing we we do mm-hmm. this we we ask this one question every to everyone who comes on now but uh as you were our first guest we hadn't started doing this yet so you have to tell an embarrassing childhood story
1: okay okay um <laughs> There's a lot of them, but, you know, it's one of those things that when you, you know, you get asked about it, you can't really. Oh, uh, man. I was trying to tie it into tie it into sports somehow. <laughs> um, I don't know. I guess I, I guess sports wise, like I played basketball and I remember. Um, I've always I've, I've always been a passer, not a shooter. I don't even remember when this was. I was really young. We were playing we were playing a road game, and I remember someone passed me the ball under the basket with like five seconds left, and I passed it out and that was one of the stupidest things I've ever done. I was never much of an athlete, but I just remember thinking that could we were down like one or whatever we were down one or two, and I just remember I passed it to somebody else because it was second nature for me not to actually shoot the ball because I sucked um. <laughs> So I guess that's kind of – that's definitely not in my top five most embarrassing moments I can remember. But that was the first one that came to my head, and that was pretty bad. The fact that I still remember it might be worse than the fact I didn't shoot the ball.
3: you still get angry yeah. at yourself and kind of grit your <laughs> so teeth at it too? Awesome.
1: Oh, there's your one right there. I played Nerf basketball with uh, McAlpin in the press box. As you can see, we worked really hard up there. <laughs> and, right. uh, and this was this isn't childhood at all. This happened like a few weeks ago. And I managed to make like one out of ten shots and that was horrible. So uh so that was pretty embarrassing. He ended up beating me. He beat Bowman too though, so that makes me feel better. <laughs> but he beat me by like making two out of 10. It's not like he was freaking stuff out there or anything. So <laughs> <laughs> right.
3: Well, we're talking sports. It has been a while wow. since I've revealed another one. I guess I got another one I can reveal. Uh much like Gabe, there are 10,000 embarrassing stories of my childhood. Um on the ball field, I did probably have one of my most embarrassing moments, though. Uh, I was probably 15, 15 or 16, uh, and I just hit a double, and I was digging off, get my lead at second, and the guy behind me bounces one to the pitcher. Well, to be you know, try to get him over, I decided to try to juke with the pitcher and get him to try to run me down. So I get started going to third. I get in a rundown, blah, blah, blah. Uh, about my second time back going to second, I literally stepped in the hole I had dug in with my cleat, face planted, tried to crawl back to the base <laughs> to have the guy who is laughing, just straight out laughing just stand in front of me and and just plop the glove on me. <laughs> so, literally crawling hands and knees to try to get back. And it was uh that one took me probably probably 2 or 3 years for that guy to to not bring up whenever we would see each other in passing. So that was that was a pretty good one.
2: I pooped my pants on a ferry boat in Istanbul once upon a time. <laughs> yeah, you win <laughs> I, I mean look, pretty much everything that happened to me between nineteen eighty eight and nineteen ninety seven could could kind of qualify for for this. But uh but yeah I think I think we've all got a an embarrassing poop the pants story and that was that was mine. That's so. actually
3: one I don't have. I'm clear on that front
1: yeah I don't but, think I have one of
2: those either well you know I was pretty young and uh you know it's all you buddy I'm not yeah I'm I'm not gonna elaborate on that hey Garab has one but <laughs> that funny too so we don't go down that rabbit hole and I've already incriminated myself feeling a little red behind the ears <laughs> Gabe thank you so much for, for playing along in this segment and thank you so much for coming on the show man it's always good to talk to you anytime
1: sure thing you guys have me back on anytime thank you for thank you for having me on and it's Fun to kind of BS around and talk about a team that looks like uh, we don't want to jinx anything, but, I mean, October. It could be a really nice return to October for this group.
3: I, Wouldn't uh, that be something? <laughs> I really enjoyed this one, Gabe. Thanks again to all you guys out there. We'll be up tomorrow you know the time you know the place make sure you're following us on itunes following us on all the apps you know all that especially the Podbean app and following us on twitter at tps underscore podcast thank you guys so much have a fantastic week and we will catch you next week here on the platinum sombrero <laughs>
2: I hope that you go far. If you really want to taste some cool success, get it done to play guitar. Play guitar. Play guitar. Play guitar. Oh, yeah. Play guitar. Play guitar. Play guitar. Okay, thanks.
0: Bye. Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around.